rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. So we've reached this weird sea change in the X-Files where the words written by John Sheevan no longer horrify me because I actually really liked SR-71 as an episode and Pine Bluffarian I actually rather liked too. So I think he's finally figuring out the kind of episodes that he's good at writing. I, I mean, I'm surprised you say that, although although I guess not really because – this episode is certainly a lot better than than John Sheepin's earlier attempts, like Tasis <laughs> shows her all souls. Oh god, because those were pretty dreadful. Um, at least this one hangs together fairly well, although I think it does rely too much on a central mystery that at its yeah. core is not very interesting and relies a lot on the shock value of Crycheck being the one that is behind this, and then apparently now he has some sort of like time bomb installed in Skinner, which okay, we'll deal with that, but. I still don't really think that his episodes are the best of the X-Files. No, and... I mean, the Pine Bluff variant, as you mentioned, was was very good, and I think was was one of the best episodes of season five, but I don't know. There's just something about this episode that that feels very showy to me in a way that doesn't really go anywhere. And that is a fair point. I mean, this is not going to make my list of top ten X-Files episodes. He is no Vince Gilligan, but... And in a lot of ways, this is a re- – both of these episodes are kind of remakes. Or the, This is one of those weeks we, where we are having the X-Files deal with itself in a lot of ways. This is a redo of that episode where Skinner is being menaced by the succubus. Um, I don't remember what that one was called, but it is a very similar story. Skinner is in trouble, Mulder and Scully – try to figure it out it turns out this is them trying to get to skinner as part of the conspiracy it it is the same central plot as that um and i know that was an episode you really liked and it was a one that i liked I, i i know i wasn't as into that episode as you were so it could just be you know my mood was such on the two days that this one just happened to ring a little more um it could just simply be i thought the the, the, the disease makeup was really horrifying and it kind of worked for me in a way that you know, the succubus shenanigans didn't quite uh, play as horror to me. I mean, it may be as simple as that. I, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think that that episode is a lot better than this one because it, it, it was the first Skinner-focused episode that revealed some information yeah. about him and also had a lot of a lot of emotional resonance because it had the character of, of his, of his, you know, soon to be ex-wife in it. And, and there yeah. was a lot of stuff going on around the margins that I really liked in that episode. You know, this episode for me, I, it just kind of hits the same beats that we've already seen a lot with, with Skinner, Mulder and Scully. Yeah. You know, they all respect each other and they've grown to, to like each other and, and rely on each other and want to protect each other. Uh, all right. I mean, I knew that already though. And, I guess it's. I guess what they're trying to do is 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 set something up that like Skinner is not gone, mm. right? Because they're off the X Files. Kirsch is their boss now, yeah. and Kirsch is, charitably speaking, you know, keeping a leash on them. Uh, but Skinner is still in the picture, and when Skinner needs help, they will they will do what they can to help him. But at the end of the day, like I mean, I don't know. It just feels kind of. Well, it feels kind of lazy because it's like. Oh, well, Krychek is behind this the whole time, and what is Krychek's secret plan? Well, I don't necessarily really care. I mean, and that's really, like, I guess it's what I what it's coming to is it's like, 
We're in the sixth season of the show. We know that these long-term storylines are not going anywhere. Yeah. And so why keep doing this? Well, I mean, to a degree, this feels like the first old-style episode of The X-Files that we've had in a long time. Um, oh, for sure. And both of the episodes this week are really within the X-Files wheelhouse in a way, and... I think there it's weird, but I find that kind of return to the classic form, it was kind of nice. I mean, I'm thinking about the way the reception of this episode must have been. I mean, you have the hardcore fan community who is not liking all of the comedy episodes this season, right? Like, they're not really liking all of the shipping. They're not like the direction that Mulder and Scully. And so this episode, which is about, which could have been made in season four, for example, I think there is a deliberate return to formness in this. And no, for sure. And, and this does, this is a run of episodes, um, except for like one, I think one notable exception, this starts a run of episodes in season six that are more what we would consider to be classic X-Files type stories. And it's good. I mean, I like seeing this kind of thing and I like the fact that they have tamped down on a lot of the showy, Hey, we're in Southern California now kind of stuff, which, which was fine the first few episodes, but we don't need to see that every week. So they're able to still pull off a regular X-Files episode. I, I think, you know, just to talk about the the sort of like fan reaction at the time to the Dreamland two-parter and how the ghost stole Christmas and all that kind of stuff and triangle like that string of episodes that was, if they weren't straight out comedies, they were at least comedic and, and sort of meta and poking fun at the X-Files and not really taking itself very seriously. Or gimmicky in the case of Triangle, I think might be a better... Or gimmicky, yeah, for sure. That that I think that a lot of that was a, a, a sort of subconscious reaction to the change in location mm. and sort of like people were worried about it at the time. I mean, I remember... Um, I wasn't super online at the time, or or very online, yeah. as the kids say these days. But really? I wasn't. They I wasn't that? very online at the time. But yeah, you're off Twitter. You don't know what's going it's on. So the language great. has changed like five times from now. The new thing is very online. Um, the new thing is very that, stupid. <laughs> I don't disagree. That. The change to Southern California was going to fundamentally alter the nature of the X-Files. Yeah. And I think these two episodes show that that's not really true. Yeah. I mean, most of the, you know, the creative staff is still there. The production staff is mostly still there. So I, well, actually, no, that's not true. I think a lot of the production staff did change because they had local Vancouver yeah. production staff. But, you know, I mean, DPs are going to DP no matter where they live. Um, so... <laughs> D- director of photography. I don't care what your euphemisms are. I know what you're talking about. And then, so, you know, we got these episodes and they're fine. Yeah. But at the end of the day, once again, we have to look at this episode and say, well, what is the point of this episode? And I, I don't really know. It, 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 it's like the X-Files has always had this problem with ongoing storylines, right? Where it piles up stuff and it doesn't really answer it. And instead of answering it, it just piles on new questions. And, and the X-Files, I think in a lot of ways is responsible for a lot of really bad serialized television that happened, you know, like 10 and 20 years later. Um, Well, and, and this episode does that again. Like it's, it's, it's not supposed to be a sort of quote unquote mythology episode. Although I would say it's a late mythology yeah. episode. 
And we know that Krychek doesn't like Skinner. We know that Krychek has a beef out from Aldrin Scully. And now he has some sort of nanotechnology bomb in Skinner that he can set off at any time. Well. Oh, okay. I mean, I would say it's not asking any more questions. I think this is more of a, I mean, this is a very. It's not, well, it's not, it's not layering on more questions, but it's just adding more complexity that I'm like, why do we need more complexity? Well, I guess it feels to me like the early part of this season, uh, from the movie through now has been characterized by a lot of ambition and experimentation, uh, in some cases such as Triangle, that paid off wonderfully. Drive was a very different episode, and it, I think that would pass as one of my favorite episodes of the show. And then you have Dreamland and The Ghost Still Christmas, which varying degrees of it, but I would say those weren't quite successful episodes, or they certainly weren't what we w- signed up for. And this is the first time that seems like a retreat to the familiar. I, again, I've talked about The X-Files as a very confident show, I think it fe- it almost feels like it got cocky for a little while, and the the, oh, yeah. the early part of the season has been that cockiness f- failing. And so, all right, we're going to make SR three eight eight, and that's going to be the it, it, we we've got Crycheck, we've got Skinner, we've got the Dream Team working together, we've got Senator Matheson, we've got alien technology, we've got conspiracies, and it seems like this. It, it, this is a degree we've been talking about whether or not the shipping is pandering. This is a pandering episode. For me, the pandering worked. But I can see uh, th- again, this feels like a calculated episode in, in a lot of ways to be we can still make an old school style X Files episode. The change in location hasn't changed who we are. Um,. I mean, it almost seems like when the band gets their when a band gets their pop hit and then they make their next album just very abrasive because they don't want to alienate their former audience who hated the fact that they get popular. I mean, this 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 episode is the X Files is in utero. I was going to say uh, this is the X Files Snow Patrol in in whatever that album was our third album, but yeah, I, I mean, I think that that in some ways that's correct. But I guess, like, I'm just sort of like, why? And and I, I and that's fair. I think this is interesting because, um, you know, we've been kind of dealing with this a lot on on our other podcast, Trek, about with, with Voyager, where you know a lot of the times we really enjoy watching the episodes, although you know there's not a whole ton of like critical analysis you can make about individual Voyager episodes. And then, you know, we're sort of left with this, well, like, why did we need TNG again? Like, we could just go watch TNG. And I guess that's kind of how I feel about this episode. It's like, if I want to see Senator Matheson, I'll go back to season one and season two. I I don't really need to see him again. Like, Senator Matheson was not a a, a dangling plot thread that I needed to be closed. I'll I'll admit, when they first had him, I'm like, who the hell is this guy? Because it's been, it's also been five years since we've seen him. He's got it all, like, I, 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 and he's not been present enough for me to remember him it's true no and i always forget that senator matheson like reappears i always think of him as like a season one season two thing and he's not and although you know hilariously enough i i think that the x-files doesn't quite understand how senators live because 
while many senators are wealthy and while many yeah. senators have very nice homes, they generally don't own nice homes around Washington, D.C. They usually live in, like, apartments. I mean, so unless I, he's a fifth-generation senator, like, I mean, but, but I mean, here we are going into, here we are going into retconning and, and making the... He's the senator from Virginia, and he lives in Virginia, and that's his house. Whatever. Yeah. I re- You know, it doesn't matter. But Or Maryland. Who cares? But, like, I, I think that there is an element to this, which is sort of like, let's break out the old hits, and let's show you that we can still do this, as you say. And, you know, it's it's... It's a decent episode. Like, it's competently done. It's... But it still doesn't give us any new information about anything. And I don't find a lot of the emotional work in this episode to, to be really that interesting. You know, it, once again, Scully really cares about Skinner. Mulder really cares about Skinner. Like, okay, we get yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I mean... But, but what is that? what does that really matter? There's that exchange between Skinner and Scully where he does say, like, listen, I've been a poor ally to you. I haven't stepped up enough. And particularly because of recent events with the shuttering of the X-Files and all of that, Skinner does owe them an apology, I think. he ha- Because I think we... There is the feeling that Skinner has not – Skinner is the kind of person who thinks of himself as treading this fine line and risking his career and his life in order to do what's right. And there have been legitimate times he's done that, uh, dealing with the cigarette-smoking man in order to save Scully's cancer is a very clear example of him doing something, again, legitimately – heroic even if it was tainted by what he had to do from that but it was him making a risk from a friend he has done this but as he points out he hasn't done much his uh i I mean i think the the last justification we had from him was well um, me being the one person on your side does nothing for you i'm gonna work from the inside and i think skinner does need to have that conversation with her of you haven't done we I haven't done enough with this. I should have done more. I could have done more. And it does almost seem like, okay, well, this is gonna be a turning point. And from now this is how ha- because they're obviously going to reopen the X Files somehow. I don't know how, what what the circumstances well, are going to be, but it's not as simple open. as it's they're just not assigned to them. So yeah, I oh, mean, fair. at some point something's gonna happen that that causes them to get reassigned to the X Files because this cannot continue forever. Although I think it might be interesting if it did, but I mean, yeah, I guess I you've convinced me a little bit. I mean, I I, I think that that part of it is 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 relevant and different. Well, where I'm going with that is that it's very undercut by I don't know. It's ambiguous at the end when he's going with Krychek. He's obviously not telling Mulder and Scully uh, of what's going on because number 1 Krychek can just turn on the turn on his device and kill Skinner and uh, implicitly can also infect Mulder and Scully with the same stuff and pretty much anybody they want to so Skinner is dealing uh but it's that conversation suggested to me that he was going to move into a process of dealing more openly as far as Mulder and Scully are concerned. In other words, maybe... I, I thought this would be a version of Skinner that would say, listen, Krychek has this. Stay away. I'm dealing with this. I've got this. We'll talk about it. And otherwise, he's just going behind their backs again and doing this again. Um, and that's... 
this episode suggested that Skinner was finally well, developing the Well, I mean, the I, now you're putting me in the position of, of defending this episode because I, I – yeah, you did yes! it. Yes! I read that a little differently. I mean, I agree with you that, that I think that, that some of it was necessary. You know, that, that scene that you speak to where Skinner basically apologizes for, for not protecting them more and, and, and really kind of like this may be a reckoning. This may be an emotional catharsis for them. And and then the yeah. the irony of it being well he then again does not tell them at the end of the episode what is going on really and I think that what this episode is trying to do in having Skinner revert back to old ways is he's reverting back to old ways for for new reasons because he doesn't want to die but he's also protecting Mulder and Scully from being infected as you say and the episode is yeah. not I don't think the episode is like it's not transparent. It doesn't come out and say what he's doing in that regard, but that is the implication as you say. And the other part of that too, is that the conspiracy has always been something that has been very good at driving wedges between these characters. And I think this is another example of that. Um, But also the fact that Krychek is at this point, a loose cannon and has been a loose cannon for, a couple of years at least you know yeah. i don't know i mean we don't know what krychek has been doing since the last time we saw him like in russia but it it can't be good and but why is he doing this well he's doing this because he doesn't like skinner but then it's it's a little unclear what krychek's ultimate goal is here because you know Sk- skinner is yeah. is is their sort of like protection in a way right like even though skinner is not their um AD, ADA, assistant director, AD. Uh, AD. Even though yeah. Skinner is not their, their AD, their boss anymore, obviously in this episode and in an episode like Triangle, for instance, where he helps Scully get the information she needs to find Mulder, he is still willing to go to bat for them and he is still willing to, to break rank and help them. And maybe that's what Krychak's ultimate goal is. I don't know that that he wants to break that connection between Skinner and Mulder and Scully, that they are going to be reporting to Kirsch for the foreseeable future. Skinner is no longer their boss. And so he wants to break that link and, and make them have even less resources. I, I don't know. I mean, I think that that's a weakness of the episode because I'm trying to well, explain his actions and the episode doesn't give us enough information or context to really know yeah. why he's doing that. But that's where we are. Yes. But to take up your point of the conspiracy being good at driving wedges between people, um, one thing that the cons- the conspiracy has driven about 50 wedges between Mulder and Scully and none of them have taken. There have There really hasn't been any length of time that Scully and Mulder have felt like, I don't trust you, I don't want to talk to you anymore. That has never happened. And the show has really wanted Skinner to be in that. Like, there is... The three of them feel like a very strong triangle that has been almost happening and not happening, and it feels very unsatisfying when that bond turns out to be wavering or weird or not fully there and if uh, again in terms of rewriting the episode sure but if this episode was that time when finally we're solidifying the three of these skinner is going to be the third member of the trio now and the three of them are going to work towards finding the truth like i think that that feels like the development that Skinner has been leading into, and it's just 
it feels like a cock tease every time that they're closer to that point that finally Skinner's going to realize that the three of them need to work together and it just doesn't. I think that's an interesting point. I I can certainly see that, but I I just don't I don't think that that analysis is really held up by the text of the X-Files because that's always what happens with Skinner. I mean, in in a way, yeah. if you look at this very reductively Mulder and Scully are colleagues and Skinner is their their superior and so and that the more to the point, he's older than them. I think that they always have no, a deferential I'm... relationship to him more than they have to each other. Mulder and Scully also, frankly, spend a lot more time together. Um, and Skinner is but... basically like in his office most of the time um, that they see him. He's not out in the field a lot with them. And so it is the case that they are going to have a different relationship with Skinner. And I just sure. don't know if, like personally, as a person... I think that they are able to view him as an equal and able to view him just as a person. But but when he goes into his, you know, scowling sinister or when he goes into his yeah. scowling Skinner mode, they're always going to feel a little bit like little kids being scolded by their parent. And I just don't think that dynamic is ever really going to go away. And And that's primarily why I think the show plays around with Skinner fully accepting his role as their third or not. Yeah. I mean, it could go either way. Yes. That has been the way that they've related to each other, but it is true that he's not their boss anymore. And their relationship is outside of the professional capacity in that way. They are all going under the table in this case. Again, I can, I could see it done that way. I see where the show has gone with this. And I also know that, we're running out of time for them to be a power trio, right? Like, we obviously, they don't, nobody on the show knows this. David Duchovny probably has an idea that he wants to leave at some point very soon, but we don't, it, no, nobody knows that we're going to replace one of the main actors and that that dynamic is going to change completely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But but I also think to your point that that even though he's no longer their direct superior, he is still superior to them. And yeah. and I think that it would be very strange, you know, if I just think to like my own, you know, work life, I, I don't I would not like be buddy buddy with someone who was above me just because they were my direct superior. Like I think that would be a little strange. No. And so But we've also seen we we've seen countless examples of in Star Trek of people being uh close with the captain right like that the the entire arc of picard in next generation was him realizing that he can trust his senior staff and that they have created family voyager keeps going into the cast as family and janeway as the mom and yeah i think there are Mm. i mean that's a perfect example of uh so where somebody is superior but they are all working on the same side working as a unit i mean maybe that's the thing they don't need to be equals skinner can be at the apex of the triangle but they don't the three of them don't work as a unit as much as they could yeah i mean i agree with that and and, you know not to turn this into an episode of truck about but i i don't necessarily think that that the next generation or or voyager ds9 are good examples because like that's a very different type of human relationship that is portrayed in those shows um, versus the X-Files, which is very much grounded in the reality of 20th century America. So, you know, I I, I think that's a little bit of a, a little bit of a red herring, but 
I don't know. At the end, speaking of Star Trek, it's really weird and annoying that they had Boothby being Skinner's boxing coach in this episode. I know that was very strange. So, and and then you know Robert Picardo showing up as the Doctor in this episode. Like, what what's I going on here? This, I mean, I, I I'm all for <laughs> crossovers, but this is getting to be a little ridiculous. All right. Well, I think we that's all we can say about SR eight nineteen. Let's move on to Tithonus. Tithonus. But I normally look these up, but I didn't, and I don't know how to pronounce it either. But before we do that, we do want to take a quick opportunity to remind you that this podcast is listener-supported. What does that mean? It means that we want your money. If you enjoy this podcast, please go to patreon.com slash show and give now. Okay, let's talk about this. Um, this is the rare Vince Gilligan episode that I don't think really works very well. Oh, I really liked this one. I, I guess I'm I, this, just in a bad I liked mood this, this week, week or something. I don't know. I mean, this was this is Clyde Bruckman part two, and it's it's not as good as Clyde Bruckman. I mean, no. I, I I will admit that right off. That is one of the finest episodes there. But the two episodes are very much in dialogue with each other, um, particularly given that Skelly. I mean, I mean. I mean, they both center on Scully having this uh, connection to somebody who is able to predict death and uh, the burdens of their gift and her reactions to this. And I mean, this is the version of that episode that happens after Scully has cancer. I mean, that is – it's never mentioned in this episode by name, but it is the entire subtext of the entire episode. Yeah. And which is, again, something that was not the case in Clyde Bruckman. Clyde Bruckman is Scully dealing with death from a perspective of somebody who has not had to face it, who has not. Uh, had Melissa died at that point in the series? Um, I think so. Okay. Um. I mean, she'd she'd had family members die. She had dealt with loss, but she had not had the personal brush with it. Um, I mean, her 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 monologue in this episode about like, why would you not want more life? Why that that's what you're? Uh, why would you seek death and all of that? Comes from the per, from comes from the perspective of somebody in her her thirties who a year or two ago was re, was making her peace. Yeah, and who. Well, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I think that that I I don't like this episode as much as you do. And I think that primarily I I don't like it as much as you do because I find the first half of it to be pretty, pretty rote in a way. Um, I think it gets very good once they jettison uh, uh, Ensign uh, Child Ritter and like just go for. Uh, you know kind of yeah. like a, you know like a almost like a a, a, a little you know two act play or a two character play here between um scully and and the, and the photographer but yeah i the line that you were specifically there... referencing where scully is like i don't know why you would want more why you wouldn't want more life i don't like that line i mean i get where you're coming from where she has battled cancer and she almost died and she has come out on the other side of this with a renewed vigor and and lust for life um but it seems extraordinarily obtuse to me that that scully would say that because i mean certainly someone who is 30 years old or 35 years old i'm I'm not sure how old scully is supposed to be um but she is still pretty young um and she has in her 30s quote yeah she has a lot of years ahead of her let's just put it that way um yeah she definitely would want more life but scully is a very smart 
woman, and I, I can't imagine that she wouldn't understand that someone who has been alive for 150 years might want to die. Like, he's still having to work, and he's 150 years old. He's living in a crappy yeah. apartment. Like, he's probably really exhausted all the time. I I don't I don't get that, and I think that's part of what... The, the best Vince Gilligan episodes really help us get into the heads of the Monsters of the Week. And yeah. I don't feel like this episode does that very well. And that is a very fair point. Um, I mean, there is a little bit of maybe Scully doesn't quite believe that he is as old as this, but then that goes towards the... That that brushes against the typical Skelly stereotype of that can't be aliens. It's got to be some. There's got to be some mundane explanation to this. It is possible that what she is viewing is a depressed seventy year old, sixty year old man who is, uh, you know, talking about wanting to die. But again, somebody who is there is a Skelly doesn't seem to recognize the difference between being 35 and being 75. I mean, I, I I really like his retort of, you know, 75 years is about as much as you need, any more than that, and it's wasted. And again, she has another 40 years before she gets to that point. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with that. And I, I, I do like that this is a Scully-focused episode because it's been a while since we've yeah. had one of those. And it's it's very well done. And I think it's the things that I like about it is that it, it ties very nicely into what has been happening with their careers. It has been tying in very nicely to where Scully is in her sort of emotional journey. And yeah. I also think that... Well, I I think what you're saying about the first part of the episode being a slog, and I agree, it could be trimmed down a lot more. Uh, but I think it's really fascinating for for Kirsch in this episode, because I think we get a clearer idea of his motivations and his attitudes. I mean, Kirsch is about as much of a muggle as you can get right now, right? He is a mundane FBI director. He is, if we would go to the FBI today and pick a random mid-level manager, he's he, he's living their yeah. life. Nothing supernatural happens to this man. He has no ties to the conspiracy. He goes home. Maybe he has a family. May, you know, maybe he has a nice apartment, but he's good at his job. He's dealing with, again, we, we, it's been implied that he's mostly dealing with uh, budgets and personnel issues and things like that. And Mulder and Scully have been on this punishment assignment, but he does recognize at this point that Scully... He thinks of Skelly as almost an innocent. You're the one who was uh, roped into this, but you 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 got in. You fell in with a bad crowd. You had a great career ahead of you. Then you were assigned to this Mulder guy, and we made a mistake by assigning you to him because we that ended up torpedoing your career instead of being a stepping stone on the way to something greater. Because everybody who's higher up who has met Scully believes that she is brilliant she's really good at as an investigator she has a very promising career that's being thrown away and this is him saying listen you've been in time out long enough here's your first real assignment do well on this and there will be more and this is me picking you up out of here and i mean there's some it's it's this is again picking up certain themes that had been done earlier but i think they're worth worth reiterating because 
on the one hand, it does appear that Skelly might have gotten more superficial respect had she been in a traditional career path, right? I mean, she would have gotten a desk if she had not been on the X-Files, right? But as the episode goes on to think, goes on to uh, reveal, it's the respect you give towards the good girl in the room, right? Like, she's... They're not respecting her idiosyncrasies. They're not respecting her ability to think outside the box. They would respect the fact that she is doing everything right and coloring inside the lines, and she is going to get a very good, nice mid-level management job at some point herself if she just straightens up and flies right. And, well, there, I mean, there's a, there's a couple things there. I think, I think number one... Your read on Kirsch's, uh, uh, you know, deciding to to help Scully out here and, and and give her this 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 case, yeah, some of that is true or maybe true, but it also may be that the Kirsch is trying to split up Mulder and Scully because that's what the cigarette smoking man wants because we know that the cigarette smoking man and Kirsch are meeting, which uh we don't know what that means but it doesn't seem to be good and so but i like that i mean both both interpretations of that are valid and i think part of that might be the case like kirsch may want to split Mulder and scully up but kirsch might also want to give scully another chance because he thinks that she's a good agent he's not doing this to Mulder, right like he's not saying Mulder, hey help out with this case because he thinks Mulder is a lost cause and i also think the and I also think the other the other thing about that is there has always been an unspoken tension at the heart of the X-Files between Mulder and Scully and the ways in which they can be iconoclasts within the FBI. And, and Mulder can just kind of like, you know, flip off, you know, flip off uh, uh, the bureaucracy and tradition and act half cocked all the time because he is a cis white man and like he can do that kind of stuff because he has privilege and he can get away with it um whereas i think the unspoken assumption here of course is that a scully has never been able to act in that fashion you know as much because she is a woman and she has to fight for her respect and she has to kind of like stay within the structures of the organization that she is working for more than Mulder has to but I also don't think it's incidental that Kirsch is a black man that also is playing the game right like I think that there's some some of that as well where Kirsch has gotten to a position of power and some influence within the FBI and he feels like he has to protect that um, because he has a lot of responsibility towards himself. So I think there's a lot of that going on, but I don't, and I, I think rightly the episode and, and the show never really interrogates that on a, on a, on a yeah. conscious level, because that's all sort of wrapped up in who they are casting into these roles. And I mean, to be clear, Scully is a very good agent. I think Mulder is a very good agent as well, as we see in this episode, because he is the one who is doing a lot of the research and finding some of this information out. But they're still a team. They're still working together. You know? Yeah. Like, the reason why the first half of this episode doesn't work is because it comes across as a, as like a bad Law and Order episode. You know, Agent Ritter is is stereotypical to the point of being ridiculous. I just want to get my guide. Why are you stopping me? You know, who cares about the fourth amendment? You know, all that kind of stuff. And, and 
it it almost comes across as parodying that sort of thing, which is weird in a Vince Gilligan script, but I also just don't think the episode really works until it jettisons that and realizes that, oh, no, Mulder and Scully are the ones that are going to get together. And that is where this episode shines, where it once again shows us that Mulder and Scully are the ones that are working best together. I mean, there is a lot of... There are certain resonances to as far back as Tombs, I believe, which is the one where she had the old friend from the Academy and... They're put on this, and uh, that's kind of when she begins to stop being, you know, uh, doing what people say and is starting to align on Team Mulder at that point, on Team Mm -hmm, mm X-File. And there was that one exchange in that, whose side are you on? The victims. And that's kind of echoed in this one um, when Ritter says, you know, I, I, I thought we were supposed to be finding we weren't looking for reasons to get this guy off we're supposed to be looking for reasons to convict him and she goes i we were supposed to be looking for the truth like i don't know if those two lines were very deliberately if that was written to echo the exchange but it almost seems like it is that's a this is a if it comes off as parodic it's because this is a repeat of a situation that we'd seen earlier and it's notable for how little Scully's mind has changed. After all of this, she is even more strongly aligned with not even the victim, but the truth, which is one of Mulder's big words. Um, Yeah. She's given this opportunity to get this career. This is, again, the bus coming back. This is the same exact bus that that she was allowed to get on in Tombs that she decided not to. And I don't know. It just... it almost comes off as really naive on Kirsch's part that he's going to think that, well, she's just going to be career-minded, go off with this Peyton Ritter, which is as ridiculous of a name as Fox Mulder. But that, again, has to be deliberate. Um, well, and, and, and but he's well, not, he, not to cut you off, but, but speaking of names, I, I think we would be remiss if we did not mention, of course, that, that Peyton Ritter calls her Dana and there's that fantastic scene yeah. where they're squaring off and and you know he is you know he is intimidating her he is a man who is intimidating a woman he obviously does not respect her and says are we clear Dana yeah. and she says Scully and I just you know I just love that yeah. because it is such a clear indication of of how different the two characters are mm. uh I don't think it's incidental incidentally that we see a there is that brief scene when Mulder is talking to Ritter and the two of them are getting along fine and Ritter is very helpful and respectful to him. I don't think that is at all incidental. They are making a deliberate point oh. about gender at this point. Yes, absolutely. But they are for sure. Also speaking of names, there is a brief mention at the beginning of this episode of a Miss Ermintrout which, as we all know, is the name of a very major character from Breaking Bad. So I don't know where... I'm really curious where Vince Gilligan first heard this name and, and like, it stuck in his head and he needed to name characters this because he loved it. I, 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 not to, you know, not to go off on a side tangent, but I, as I always have been fascinated by, by writers and where they get their, their names and their characters. from. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that maybe, you know, Vince Gilligan is one of those writers that, that has a stock of names that he really likes and just kind of pulls them out yeah. from time to time. So that is Flips certainly Flips through true. the phone book. 
worked. Yeah, it, it, it's the name of somebody he just met once and just, I need to name a character this. This is too cool of a name. Um, but I, I mean, I think that, that you know, not, not to go too, like, you know, socialist agitprop on you or anything, but but I think that there also is an element. <laughs> you? What? I know. There also is an element to the X-Files, which is very sort of like typical middle of the road American, which is like the police are good and they're here to protect us and the FBI are wonderful. Yeah. And, you know, the police are not here to protect us and the FBI are not wonderful and they are part of a power structure mm. that is uh, is designed to keep certain people in line and to keep certain people in power and to protect capitalism. It's not really here to necessarily find yeah. the truth. and. You know, I think that that is I'm certainly the, certain to, to say that there is probably a socialist reading to be made of all police procedurals in a way. Um, oh, that would be a fascinating. Uh, yeah, it would be. Not continue. that we're going to do it, but because <laughs> I've got a lot of other stuff going on. But but I think that mm. that that is kind of like what is going on here where Scully is is not. I mean, Scully's a cop, but she's not right. Like. We like Scully. We like Mulder. They're they're cops that aren't actually cops. They're not culturally cops. And she's a doctor. He's a uh, he's a crank. In he's a way. whatever they, he is. They're he's working, a lone gunman essentially. They're, but they're working as cops. They're working as FBI. But it's true. Scully is more defined by her medical training. Yeah, and I think that's that's the key distinction here. Where where they are not cops, and and Peyton Ritter is a cop, and Kirsch is a cop. Ye- yeah, and I mean they do they do edge against that in this episode. They do make it very clear that uh he's being held just because they found somebody and they want to get another number in the solved column on the case because Ritter is so careerist and the implication is that this is widespread. I mean there is that one line, "Oh, I know the judge, we can get the warrant in a couple hours." And I mean, this is a – the corruption that we have seen in the FBI and the X-Files for the most part has been aliens and conspiracy and we're going to hide this technology. And to a weird degree, that kind of makes sense to Scully, yeah. right? Like there is this big secret. She does not agree that all of this is necessary to keep the secret, that the truth is better to be out there and all of that. But at least she gets the stakes. She understands the stakes in this. What what Ritter is doing is just putting innocent people in jail because it makes him look like a really good detective, and that yeah. is just absolutely disgusting to her. Uh, that is a kind of corruption that doesn't make any sense to her. And I feel like a more woke version of this episode could have leaned into this, like uh, have Felic be a black man, and this episode changes his uh, uh, Ritter's obsession with him changes and in a way that i think is a little more uh true to that agitprop socialist uh version of the police that you're talking about again that that would that this episode could have that theme and it doesn't yeah i mean i I think it's that that part of the episode is a little bit unfocused but i mean Mm -hmm. to to wrap back around and maybe to to finish up i think that we should engage with with felic a little more of course because you know he is not the point of the episode, of course, and I don't even think he's he's very interesting. He he's a gimmick essentially, um, and he is he's not as dynamic of a character as Clyde. No, Brown, I, I don't. I, think it, I don't think that there's much to his character at all. But 
I mean, you know, besides the fact that this is a Vince Gilligan episode and he is very good at writing these very dramatic set pieces, you know, the elevator crashing, for instance, yeah. Felig getting stabbed, things like that. Um, really, Felig is, is, is a vehicle for examining how Scully feels about life at this point, as you were talking about yeah. earlier. And I think it does an extraordinarily good job at that. I think that's why the second half of the episode works so much better than the first half, because... It, it it finally crystallizes what exactly it's about and how it is using yeah. this character of Felig to examine Scully and her choices and, and where she is in life right now. You know, I, I don't think it's incidental that she very openly says, oh, no, this is definitely an X-File. You know, I think that she's, yeah. <laughs> she's getting to that point where, you know, she's always been along for the ride having cancer, having a lot of the experience that she, experiences that she has had have changed her and have changed her priorities yeah. in, in, a, in a large way. And this is another episode that is showing that even though she is no longer assigned to the X-Files, she, in a sense, has really bought into at least... If she hasn't bought into the quest that Mulder is on, if she is not fully invested in that part of it, she is invested in searching for the truth in a way that she may not have been if to go back to your point if she had gone on that career's path there is a strong amount of integrity with scully and she may not believe in the quest she may it may not be her personal quest it's true but yeah what ritter is doing this 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 is a system that does not have integrity and that is what she is fighting for and on the side yeah yeah um I think there's a – help me pick something out, though. Um, Clyde Bruckman, Scully at one point asks, how do I die? And he replies, you don't. And as far as I had thought, that referred to Scully doesn't die of cancer in her cancer arc. I mean, that that pretty much seemed there's an amount when she can die and she doesn't. But it's implied at this in this episode that Felig took the death that was meant for Scully. So is she – going to be in, is she immortal now? Sure. <laughs> I don't know. I okay. mean, maybe, um, that would be interesting, right? Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, is this a, f- I, I feel like this has to be a fan theory because again, especially given the resonances to Clyde Bruckman in this episode and Vince Gilligan being very clever, I think that could be implied here. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I think it could be. And I, I, you know, that, that is something that the X-Files is very good at, just dropping these things in and, and not picking up on them for years and then revisiting them. So, yeah. you know, it's possible that that may be revisited at a later date, or, or perhaps it may not be. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Okay. I mean, I know the character is going... Number one, I know the character does not die because she's as far as season 11. Yeah. And I know the the character does age because it's been 20 years for Jillian Anderson. So, I don't. Well, we'll just theories. We'll just have to wait and see, won't we? Of course, they did die all the way back in the mosquito episode in season one, and every the rest of the series has been a dying dream. So there is that. <sighs> Darkness Falls is that one? Uh yeah, Darkness Falls. Yep, good memory. Yeah, they died in that episode. All right. Well, I think we'll call it an episode. If you have any thoughts on either of the episodes we just talked about, SR819 or Titanus, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at tuninginshow.com. As I said earlier, you can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. It also supports our other podcast, Truckabout, which you can find at, coincidentally enough, truckaboutshow.com. 
Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tuning In Show is our username there. And as always, please leave us an Apple Podcast review for tuning in. Next week, it's going to be two-parter week, I believe. I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. We're going to be talking about two fathers and one son. Mac, why do you...